uh, hey, would you continue those conversations on, you know, um, when we get done, sometimes it's like, hey, stand up and leave at the end of the day and go do your thing. Carry those conversations on. You just made friends with people. So keep going with that. That's cool. Uh, okay, let's talk about Christmas from a biblical perspective. Let's talk about it from, what does it mean in our lives to have this person, Jesus, come into our world and say, I want to change everything for you. And what does that look like when we celebrate him? As I've been thinking about this this week and thinking about the season that we're coming into, I realize how much easier it is to celebrate Christmas as a child than it is as an adult. Well, see, as an adult, as an adult, you're aware of everything that's going on in the world around you. And when I watch what's going on in the world around me, when I see the news, when I'm on the internet and I see what people are talking about, see the things that are going on in this world, I'm like... Oh, it's not a happy place. The world is not a happy place. And we live in a world that's filled with terrorism. And we have grieved that together here recently. We live in a nation that is divided by race and racial problems, racial challenges. And sometimes in our little community, we don't seem to feel that as much. But we have our countrymen who feel it deeply. And it's so disturbing. It's so challenging. And we live with that. We've been talking for the last several months about the idea that the pain is in the family. And that's exactly true. The pain is in the family. But the pain is also in our human family. And we share that together. And we live in that. We walk down that road together as human beings. And it's hard. We live in a season of pain. We live in a season of fear. And it's Christmas time. And I know some of you are like, Way to be the hope, Pastor Brad. Like, oh, I, I, okay, I get that. But I, and then I look at children, I go, it's so much easier for children to be able to celebrate. I grew up in a really peaceful time known as the 60s. I mean, I, you know, my, my world was peaceful. My life was peaceful. And there were assassinations going on. And there was a horrible war going on. And there was all this disastrous stuff going on. And when Christmas would come around, I'm like, oh, it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was fun. I didn't have any worries. I didn't have any fear. And I look at children in our generation, I'm like, hey, it's, they, just, they just think, hey, it's, a, it's Christmas. This is going to be fantastic. And they don't know all the backdrop that goes behind that. Well, it's interesting. When you go through the scriptures and you see the stories of Jesus coming into this world, and he sent his messenger ahead of him, this man named John the Baptist, he sent him ahead of him to bring a message of good news. And then you realize, wow, the backdrop that they lived in was the same backdrop that we live in today. And when Jesus came into the world, he preached good news in a bad news world. When John the Baptist, Jesus' messenger, came into the world, he preached good news in a bad news world. They had the same backdrop behind them that we have behind us. Jesus' world was filled with pain and fear. It was filled with terrorism and conflict and war. And in the midst of that, Jesus said, I come to bring you good news of great joy. And what I want us to be able to do as thoughtful, adult followers of Jesus is to figure out in the midst of this dark world, how do we bring light? How do we be light? How do we clear the way for the Messiah to come into the whole world? So we're going to take this weekend and the next two weekends after this, and we're going, to start a, we're going to do a new series called Clear. And it all comes from this ancient message that Isaiah the prophet preached where he said, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. 
Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And so we're just going to talk about how to do that in our own lives, in our own souls, in our own families, in our own community, and in our own world. So we're going to start today in Luke chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along with this, we're going to look at Luke chapter 3. It's the only scripture we're going to land. We're just going to stay right there in one spot today. So find it and then hold on to it. Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And we're going to hear the story of John the Baptist. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the row on the chairs near you. You can reach over and grab one of those, have someone pass it down to you. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion app on there. We've got some notes on there for you if you like. Or you can just listen. That's fine too. All right. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the story. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, which is just east of Dallas. <laughs> Sorry, I think that's a different Abilene. Uh, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So the first thing you see when you see John the Baptist's story, John the son of Zechariah, it calls him here, was you see these political leaders, and you've heard of some of them, right? You've heard of Pontius Pilate. He was the governor of Judea. He was the governor of the, of the territory around Jerusalem during Jesus' public ministry years. And you've heard of Herod. Herod is the one that that Pilate eventually handed Jesus over to and said, hey, he's from your territory. You put him on trial. I don't want anything to do with him. And you've heard his story. And then there's these others. There's Philip and there's Lysanias. And they, they are tetrarchs. They were governors of other regions. And it's interesting when you do a little map of this and figure out what regions they were leaders of. You got, you got Pilate in Judea. And you got Herod in Galilee. And then you've got these other two leaders, and they were leaders of these, of these regions to the north and east of Israel. What's to the north of, what's in the north of Israel today? A little messed up place called Syria. What's to the east of Israel today? Jordan, which is a country that is overrun with immigrants from Syria, refugees from Syria. And what's just to the north and east of that? This territory called now ISIS, which is the fountain of terrorism in this world. See, what you find in the story of John the Baptist as he was beginning to clear the way for Jesus in the wilderness, what you find is they lived in exactly the same times as we live in. Sometimes as we march through history, we forget our historical perspective and we think the world has never been as bad as it is today. The world has always been as bad as it is today. We have different weapons to destroy things. We have different tools to cause terror in the world today. But the, but the heart of humanity has been evil all along. And that's the, that's the territory where John the Baptist came bringing his message. And people were coming from all of those places to hear what John had to say. 
So let's listen to what he had to say. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce food in keeping with repentance, and don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I love John. I mean, this is not how they teach you to preach in seminary. You know, hey, when you're going to have a message, you know, do the introduction thing, then do the body of the message, then do a wrap-up at the end. When you start with the introduction, just start like this. You brood of snakes. You bunch of snakes. He go, you know, in seminary, they go, that's not a good way to do it. They go, put a little sugar on it, tell a story first, you know, invite people in to listen. He goes, you snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm like, I don't think they were fleeing from wrath. I think they came just to watch the prophet burn. So interesting, so engaging, and, they're, and he's just landing on those guys. You snakes. But everybody was coming to listen to what he had to say. And what he had to say was this. I'm preaching about repentance. And that word freaks people out. If someone who's not a follower of Christ walks into church on a day we're talking about repentance, like, oh, I knew it, fire and brimstone and all this scary stuff, and that's what church must be about. And he's talking about repentance. He's talking about bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And we get all wigged out about this whole repentance thing, and that was John's message. But he's saying, what I want to do with you is not bring you comfort. God didn't send me out in the wilderness to bring you comfort. God sent me out in the wilderness to bring you hope. And the only way to find hope is through the process that's called repentance. And repentance means to change your thinking. In fact, John goes on and he tells them, here's what I want you to change your thinking about. Verse 10. When the people heard what he had to say to them, They said, the crowd said to him, what should we do then? John answered, well, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, "And, and, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. Bible says John came preaching a, a message of good news. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Where's, where's the good news in a message of repentance? Where, where is the good news coming from? And yet everybody came to listen, and he's now saying, now, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And they did what we do. We go, we, we don't understand. We don't, we don't know what you're talking about. Come on, make it practical. And John goes, okay, let's make it practical. Here's what we're talking about. Repentance is a word that means to change your mind, to change your attitude, and change your behavior. That's what it means. It's not a big frightening word. It's almost an intellectual word. In the short version, it means change your thinking. You can't come to Jesus unless you're willing to change your thinking. 
I can't come to Jesus unless I'm willing to change my thinking. And the only way to clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness is to change my thinking. And when I change my thinking, I change my attitude. And when I change my attitude, I change my behavior. That's what John is calling to us, calling us to as we're preparing the way for Jesus. The way Isaiah laid it out 800 years before John the Baptist came was he said, I want you to change the landscape. And he gave him all these landscape-type terms, topographical-type terms. He, said, he says, your world is full of valleys. Fill them in. Your world is full of hills and mountains. Tear them down. Your, your world is full of rough spots. Make them smooth. And he's not really interested in phys- physical topography. He's interested in spiritual topography. He's interested in ethical topography. He's interested in that stuff that's going on in our hearts. And he says, look, in your heart and in the heart of this world, there are a lot of valleys, there are a lot of low spots that need to get filled in these days. Fill them in. He said, in your hearts and in the hearts of your community, there are a lot of high places. There are a lot of things to get get stumbled on or make it a hard climb up this hill. He goes, tear those down, make them flat. He said, in your heart, there's a lot of rough spots. I want you to make them smooth. And in your heart, there's a lot of crooked pathways. And I want you to make them straight. He says, I want you to change the landscape of your life. I want you to change the landscape of this world. And sometimes when I look at the world, like, I get hopeless. I'm like, how, how are we ever going to change this? How are we ever going to change what's going on in our world these days? And John seems to suggest that we change the landscape when we change our thinking. We will change the landscape when we change our thinking. And so the people that were listening to John said, it's like, they said, can you, can you sort of spell that out for us? Can you, sort of, can you sort of make it practical? Which is fascinating because they're just like you. I mean, people come to me all the time like, thanks for making it practical. Or they'll say, please make it practical. Please give me something that I can use today or I can use tomorrow or this week. Make it practical. And so John's given this message and he's talking about repentance and all that stuff. And people were coming to him and saying, well, can you make it practical? John said, okay, let's, let's talk this way. Let me give you four practices Four practical things to do to clear the way for the Lord in your life this season. And I'm going to give you those four, and I'm going to invite you to do one of them. Pick one of them, because John didn't give all four to everybody who was there that day. John gave four to three different groups of people. So you'll hear them, and then I'm just going to encourage you to take one of these four practices this week and start working on this one practice. And see what changes in your life. All right? So the people came to John in verse 10. They go, well, what should we do? John said, here's practice number one. Practice generosity. He says, it's really easy. It's, it's interesting. You get to this message. He's saying, repent. You're like, oh, I don't know what it's about. And what's the whole deal about? He goes, it's just, it's just real easy. You who have two shirts, give one to the person who has none. Practice generosity. You go, well, how will I know if they don't have one? They won't have a shirt. It's, it's clear. I mean, right? So he goes, it's just simple. You have, you have more shirts than you need? Give one to somebody else who doesn't have one. He goes, same thing with food. You have more food than you need? 
give some to those who don't have any. All right. Three days ago, did any of you have enough food? Did, did a couple of you have more than enough food? Okay, then he's talking to you. If you have more than enough food, he's talking to you. If I have more than enough food, he's talking to me. If you have more than one shirt, he's talking to us. I have a stinking closet full of shirts. He's talking to me. He says, practice generosity. Find a way to practice generosity. Now, I'm telling you to pick one of these four. This is the hardest one of the four for me. Starts off with the hardest one of the four for me. I struggle releasing my white knuckle grip on the things that I own. I find it hard. I don't know if it came from my background. In my background, we were uh, not a well-to-do family. We didn't have a lot of resources. I applaud my parents for not making that a hardship on us. I really didn't know when I was a child that we were poor. And I credit my mom and dad for that. But something grew out of that fact of being poor, which was I learned to hang on to my stuff tightly. And as I see the scriptures talk about being generous and practicing generosity, I find that so difficult because I want to hold on to this stuff. You want me to share my food? I don't really know if I'm going to have enough food tomorrow. And you go, yes, you do. And I say, well, yes, I do. But in my deepest places, I don't know if I have enough. And John says, you want to clear the way for the Lord? Then practice generosity. With your food, with your clothing, with your resources, with your stuff. That's hard for me. You know, one of the things I'm grateful for in my life is I get to watch you guys do this. I don't, know, I don't know how Lakeside has become such a generous church when one of the leaders of the church really struggles with generosity. But I watch your generosity when we come to Christmas and we go, hey, we're going to do Christmas around town. You should bring some gifts. You should go buy toys and give it to somebody else's kid. You know, you, I look at that and I'm like, you're amazing. I go, let's do a food drive. And you go to Costco and Sam's Club and you buy out the place and you fill your pickup truck with stuff and you haul it in here and put up on the front. You go, yeah, this is so cool. We get to be generous. I look at you who do that and I'm amazed at that. And some of you, when John says, hey, you should practice generosity, this is not something you should really focus on because you already do it. And those of you who are already doing this, God bless you. But those of you who find that your knuckles get white because you're holding on to your stuff so tightly, like I do, maybe this would be one where you go, this, this might be my practice that I need to work on this season. This, in my soul, would clear the way for the Messiah to come into my life. Now, John said that to the, to the majority. That he said that to the general crowd. So that's, that's to all of us. So maybe a lot of us struggle with that. I'm not sure. But then there was another group of people that were there that day, and they were a surprising crowd. Nobody expected them to come down to the river. Nobody expected them to come down and see this prophet. They were known as tax collectors. 
And we're not talking about the IRS or the Franchise Tax Board. We're talking about 2,000-year-old tax collectors who were in Israel collecting money for the Roman government. And everybody in Israel hated tax collectors because they were Israelites, Israelis, who were collecting taxes for the enemy government. And when they collected those taxes, the governor would say to them, you have to collect this much money from every person in our community. In your, you know, in your tax base. you got to collect this much money. And we'll pay you for that. We'll give you a commission, whatever the, whatever the arrangements were. We'll give you a salary. You have to do this. Oh, and, you know, people aren't going to like it, but if you, if you can collect more from them, you can, you can pocket it. All we're asking you to collect is this much, but if you can get more, then go ahead and you can take it. That's fine. So these unscrupulous Jewish tax collectors were robbing their own people, extorting money from their own people, taxing, overtaxing their own people, and getting rich in the process. And they came to John and they said, well, what should we do? If we want to get in on clearing the way for the Messiah, what do we do? And John said to them, you practice integrity. You don't collect more than you're required to. He said, you're running a business. I know your tax collecting office, it's a business, and you got a business to run, you got a job to do, the government is paying you to do a job, then do your job. It's not wrong to collect taxes. But you stop cheating your people to line your pockets with the extra. You practice integrity in your business. And there's probably a lot of ways we could apply this one in our generation today, but it makes me think about those of you who are small business owners. Some of you own a small business, and I know how hard it is to run a small business. When Lakeside was getting started, I knew what it was like to launch a small business. As the church has grown, I know what it's like to, to carry that out. It's hard to keep a small business running. And so today, there's a lot of pressure on small business owners to cut corners and to, and to not practice everything that's quite so ethical. Because you say, everybody's doing it. And for me to compete in this marketplace, I've got to act unethically. I can't help it. I have to compete. And everyone's on the same playing field. This is how I have to do it. And that's what the tax collectors were saying. And John said to them, I want you to practice integrity. You see, if I, if I practice integrity in my business, it'll go belly up. Now it's about faith. Now it's about, do I trust Jesus enough to do what he asks me to do? Some of you, some of you lead parts of a corporation. You don't lead a small business, but you lead a department in a company. And you make decisions for that department. And sometimes you go, I get pressure from above me to, to, to cut corners and do unethical things. John says, do you, you want to clear the way for the Lord? In the wilderness, you want to clear the way for the Lord in your life? Practice integrity, even in that. Some of, you, some of you run larger corporations. You get to make choices for your entire organization. He says, practice integrity. Practice generosity, practice integrity. And then there was another group of people there. In fact, this group of people was far more unexpected even than the tax collectors. The tax collectors were social outsiders. But this next group of people were political outsiders. And nobody expected them to be there. And if they were there, no one expected them to listen to the prophet. This third group of people were known as soldiers. That's all it says in the scripture. But in fact, they were Roman soldiers. 
And the only reason they were down the Jordan River, there's, there's, there's nothing to defend down there at the river. The only reason they were at the river was because the governor, Pilate, had heard that this prophet was down in the, in the desert. And a lot of people were coming to listen to him. And that wherever there's a large crowd of people listening to a speaker, leaders get afraid. Because people might actually do what the speaker talks about. So... The governor sent soldiers, Roman soldiers, down the hill, down to the Jordan River to keep the peace, to make sure the crowd didn't get out of hand. And while these soldiers came down, they got to listen to this prophet. And they're listening to him. They're like, this is great. He's talking to the, to the Jews, to the Israelites. He's talking to these people, and, and he's calling them snakes. This is this, I, we love this guy. And then they got drawn into the conversation. They started listening to what John the Baptist was preaching about. And then they're like, well, well what about us? Their own heart began to get opened up to the message and like, well, well, what about us? You're telling the Jews what they should do and you're telling the tax collectors what they should do. But, but what about us soldiers? What can we do? What do we do to clear the way for this holy one you're talking about? And John had a ready answer for them. He said, I'm going to give you two things you can do. He said, number one, I want you to practice justice. He said, don't extort money from others and don't accuse people falsely. Don't use your power to abuse people without power. See, the Roman soldiers, they had all the power in that, in that environment. They had all the power. They're the ones with the swords. And so John says to them, you got to stop using your sword to use your power to abuse others without power. Because that's a definition of injustice. He said, I want you to practice justice. So when I was back in New York a few weeks ago, I got to stay with my friend Edwin Cologne. Edwin is a pastor of a church called the Recovery House of Worship in Brooklyn, Brooklyn New York. And when we went back there, my two brothers and I stayed at, at Edwin's house. This is a bizarre setup. Because my two brothers and, and I are three white guys from the suburbs. We grew up in the suburbs. We lived the suburbs. We understand the suburbs. And we understand nothing outside of that. And we're talking and living with this man, Edwin, who's Puerto Rican. He grew up in a gang. He met, he met Christ as a young adult. He ended up giving his life to Christ and then becoming a pastor. Now he pastors his church, but he's a Puerto Rican gangbanger at heart. And by background, he has always lived in the inner city. He's never lived in the suburbs. And so while we're there, he's like, hey, let me take you out to a Puerto Rican restaurant for dinner. We're like, okay, good. He goes, let me take you out to a Puerto Rican restaurant for breakfast. Okay, good. So we're going to all these Puerto Rican places, and he's taking us all these places. Every time we went to a restaurant, we got a chance to just sit down and talk with him. Monday morning, we had breakfast together, and my one of my brothers was kind of steering the conversation at this point. My younger brother uh, works as, a, as an official in the city government that he lives in down in Southern California. And he was interested in some conversation about ju- conversations about justice with my friend Edwin. And so my brother's talking about justice and Edwin's talking about justice over a breakfast I'd never heard of before, which was wonderful. And they're talking about justice. And I realized as the conversation went along, I realized all of a sudden that they're both using the same word, justice, but they didn't have the same definition of the word. So the conversation wasn't making any traction. So I finally stopped. I researched some of this stuff, studied some of this stuff. So I just stopped for a minute. I said, hey, can I just talk to you guys about what I hear you saying to one another? 
I said, when, when people like me and my brothers, white guys from the suburbs, when we talk about justice, we almost always talk about criminal justice. Justice in our definition means there are laws and rules, and if you break them, you have to pay the price. That's justice. That's just how it works. And Edwin, when you're talking about justice, people that grow up in the inner city tend to talk about justice, not from a perspective of criminal justice, but from a perspective of social justice. And you only use one word to describe it, justice or justice, but you're talking about criminal justice and you're talking about social justice. And social justice is the idea of those who have power using it to benefit those without power. And if you tend to land on the side of justice where you're talking about criminal justice and you have to obey the laws and follow the rules or else, you think that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about justice. And if you think of justice in terms of those without power, those who have power benefiting those without power, you think that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about justice. And that's where my brother and where Edwin were when they were talking about justice over breakfast that day. And if you land on one side or the other, Consider this, that when the Bible talks about justice and when the Bible highlights justice, it highlights both. But when John came to talk to the Roman soldiers who are the ones who had power, in this case, John talked about social justice. He said, you who have power, I want you to use your power to benefit those without power. Or at a minimum, I want you to stop using your power to abuse those without power. That's justice. And some of us have power. We live in a culture that has power. And if you have power and you could stop and figure out a way to benefit those who have no power or who have little power, you would practice justice as John was describing it. John said, don't extort money from them. Don't accuse people falsely. Don't use your power to abuse those without it. And he would go beyond that to say, let's turn that around and let's make sure we use our power to benefit those who don't have power. Practice justice, he said. And then he said, one last thing for you soldiers. He goes, be content with your pay. Roman soldiers, according to Roman soldiers, were notoriously underpaid. And yet, when it, come to their, when it came to their pay, they were without power. They had power when it came to abusing others with their sword, but when it came to their pay, they couldn't go to the governor and go, you got to up our wages. They couldn't go to the commander and go, you got to pay us more money. They had no power. And so they grumbled about their pay. And they abused people in Israel because they could. They had power over them. So now he says, look, you, you have no power with your leaders. You have no power about what you get paid. Be content with your pay. So John said, practice number four is practice contentment. Practice contentment. This is a beautiful one for us when we go into Christmas season. 100% of the time in the marketing that you are soaked with every day of your life in our culture... The marketers are trying to get you to be discontent every day. 
when somebody creates a cute commercial, it's to lower your defenses to get you to be discontent. You're not drinking the right beer. You're not driving the right car. You're not, you don't have enough, you know, they're teaching you not to be content. John the Baptist 2,000 years ago said, you want to clear the way for Jesus to come into your life, into your community, into your world? Practice contentment. Practice, I have enough. I have enough. Which, interestingly, turns us right back to the first one, which is practice generosity. Four practices to clear the way for the Messiah in your life. Pick one. He didn't say them all to all of the people. He said different ones to different people because he knew we had different needs. We were in different places. Pick one and begin to live that one out this week and clear the way for Christ. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior, our Redeemer, our King and our God. Thank you. We worship you together. Thank you for sending this man, John, in advance of you to help us to clear the way, to get people ready, to change the landscape in our own hearts. Jesus, would you bless us with capacity to live out these things that you're calling us to? I don't think we change without your spirit moving in us. I don't think we change without you nudging us and calling us and freeing us and shaping us. So would you shape us in these ways? And where people are landing on one or another of these practices, would you just open our eyes to ways on this day that we could live this out? And I pray you'll change the landscape through us. Lord, we love you. We seek you. Lord Jesus, amen.